0: I want to invite you just to sit where you are and take a moment to just pray to our good God. Just do business with the Lord right now, wherever you're seated. Give him glory. Give him your worries. Give him your thankfulness right now. Just take a moment to pray to the Lord and I'll close us. Hallelujah. Jesus, you are good. We confess that this morning. We also confess, Lord Jesus, that we have forgotten that this week that we have pursued other glories, other loves. We thank you for these reminders this morning, this truth that recalibrates our heart. God, we pray for one another. We pray you would speak to each person here this morning, that you would continue to touch us by your word and by sacrament and by song. We pray for those that are hurting among us, those that are worried, those that are grieving, those that face doctor's appointments, those that are bullied, those that are Feeling left out. And Lord, we also lift up to you this morning our thanks for the place that we live, the country that we call home. And we pray, Lord, your protection upon this nation. We pray, Lord, for peace. We pray for leadership. We pray for your church, Lord, that in the midst of difficult times and chaos, that your church would rise up and be stronger and be salt and light and civil examples. That we would teach the world how to love one another and also even love our enemies and do good to our neighbor, provide for the poor and the sick and the suffering, for the lonely, for the lost. God, we pray for our nation and we pray for our church. We pray for ourselves, Lord, that we would follow you, not just this morning through song, but through each day and each hour of our lives. Jesus, again, we love you and we say all glory to you that you came and you paid our sins that you conquered this brokenness, this sin and darkness in our world and that you are coming again to reign as our blessed king forever. It's because of that, because of that hope that we pray to you this morning. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How you doing? Welcome to Centennial Church. We are so glad that you're here this morning. If you're our guest and I see guests with us, fresh faces, so glad to have you. I want all of you to know, guests and regular alike, we have a CC app that tells you everything that's going on around here. You can hear music on that app. You can get old sermons. You can see what's happening with students and things like that. So download that CC app. You can also give on that app, uh, I want to remind you uh, as part of our worship to give this morning. We're coming up on that season of thankfulness, of gratitude, as well as giving, and we want you to show that gratitude through giving back to your church, through giving to the Lord and His work through the church here. So um, as we get to the end of our fiscal year, we're, we're behind, and we just want to bring you up to speed and encourage you to give either online or there's baskets in the back that you can do that uh, later in the service as we take communion and have a prayer, uh, time of prayer response you can do that then as well. But welcome to Centennial Church. We're so glad that you're here. Um, I am excited this morning. I have been excited all week about what we're going to do this morning. And uh, on Friday, I just couldn't really contain my excitement. And and, uh, we're going to do something really special this morning. Marilyn, will you come up here? Come on up here, Marilyn. Is, is, has it been a special week for you? What happened on Friday? You had a birthday. Come on up here. We're going to, up, up here on the stage, Marilyn, we're going to sing happy birthday to you here. Come over here to the steps. Come over here to the steps. I know you want to jump right here. Right here, Marilyn. Right here. I'll help you. You haven't been up here before, have you? You think I have? You think you have? Well you can't preach, okay? I'm not gonna let you preach, but we're gonna sing to you this morning, okay? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Marilyn. Happy birthday to you. Eat Chick fil A, or whatever whatever it is the kids say. Okay, Marilyn, uh let me, uh, let me guess, okay, are, are you 21 today? How old are you? I wish. You wish? <laughs> 31? Nope. No. No? Nope. No. 35, who wants to guess? Uh. I heard 35. No. Nope. Nobody wants to guess. Okay, I, tell, yeah. <laughs> tell us, Marilyn, how old you are. 64. 64, give it up. That is so great. Hey, Marilyn... Um, we love you. You look you. great. We love you, mm-hmm. and we're really glad that you're a part of our church. Thank you, sir. And how um, friendly you are and how you make us all feel welcome. Thank you, sir. So we want to wish you a happy birthday, okay? We love okay. you. Thank you, sir. What do you want for your birthday? Uh, mm, you got a lot of people here that could get you something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, okay, you think, Adam, you. You, okay you, you think about it and tell us afterwards, okay? All right. Yes, I will help you down the stairs. Careful. Yeah. All right. Good job. Oh, thank you, Deanna. You are welcome. And you thought I was excited about politics, didn't you? Don't talk about religion and politics. Right? Don't talk about religion and politics, at least not at the dinner table, at least not at Thanksgiving, right? Just keep your mouth shut. That is the rule. Don't talk about religion and politics, right? Heard that before? This morning, as Deanna said, we are going to break both of those rules. We are going to talk about religion and politics together. Are you excited? Are you worried? I thought about having a screen up here that could shield me from fruit or whatever no. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you. We're going to talk about this. Obviously, it's a big, uh, it's a big day uh, coming up Tuesday, and you've uh, probably heard more than you want to hear about it, and you've probably gotten more mailers than you've wanted to throw away. But uh, we're going to talk about this this morning, and so pray for me. Personally, I want you to know that I am not disinterested or dispassionate about this topic, okay. I'm not disinterested or dispassionate. Uh, in fact, one of my first majors in college—and I say that, you know, with one of my first majors—because I had four or five, I finally landed on one. But my first major in college was actually political science. I had a a political mind and I had a political interest. And in fact, it was 20 years ago this year that I actually found myself on Capitol Hill working as an intern on Capitol Hill for a a senator uh, at the same time as some now other infamous interns of that day. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, So I am not dispassionate about this topic. Uh, I have opinions In fact, I even have some convictions. But my aim this morning uh, in this message is not to tell you who to vote for, okay? That's not my job. That's not my role. But my role is, I think, to bring before us this morning some kind of broad framework, or you might say some guardrails, a framework for thinking biblically and theologically about this giant topic, okay? And I can't possibly do it... Uh, total justice in one little message here, but I think it's important as your pastor and at this time in our our country to give you at least some guardrail. So what I'm calling it is a political quadrilateral, okay? Uh, You can show that picture, uh, Amanda. If you grew up in a Methodist church or something, you might have heard about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Anybody? No, no one's heard of that. Uh, but the Wesleyan quadrilateral is the way that Methodists have determined this is kind of a boundary by which we do theology and we, we build a theology of things. So I put together this uh, centennial quadrilateral for thinking about politics this morning, okay? And some of you, I've already lost you. But here we go. I think if you think about this as a frame, You've got a top frame, which is Jesus, the doctrine of Christ and who He is. You have this bottom frame, which is the foundation of the Bible and the Scriptures being our authority and, and being absolutely true. And then on the right and the left side, you have these two other frames, humanity, the doctrine of who, hum, of who humans are, easy for me to say, and, and the fact that as humans, we're both special, uniquely created in the image of God, and also sinners, And I've already offended Deanna because she's strolling out of here. Come back, Deanna. So uh, doctrine of Christ, doctrine of Scripture, doctrine of what it means to be human, and then finally this idea of the church as this institution that God has given humanity by which he is working uh, in today's, in today's wor- world. So first of all, I want to start with uh, this idea of just our, the, uh, Jesus, the doctrine of Christ. And I want to start by making a very political statement here, okay, this morning. Are you ready? Brace yourselves. Write this down. Here it is. Political statement number one. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Hey, that brought me back. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus is Lord. Do you realize that that's a political statement? It's a theological statement. It's a statement of faith, but it's also a political statement. Theologically, what that means is what, it's the first creed of Christians, is that Christians would, would proclaim, Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Caesar. In the first century, the Roman Caesar, the Roman emperor, was not Lord to, to Christians, to followers of Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And not only is that a statement of theology, it's also a political statement because it is a protest against, the, in, the, in the day, the idea of rulers, emperors, being divine. In fact, if you want to turn to Matthew, uh, excuse me, Mark chapter 12, uh, and you can just take my word for it if you want. We're not going to spend much time here. We're going to jump around a lot today. But in Mark chapter 12, as well as Matthew chapter 22, the uh, Pharisees of Jesus' day, they come to him and they, they try to test him by asking this question, uh, is it lawful for us to pay taxes? I mean, everybody wants to know the answer to that question. Do I, ha- do I have to pay taxes, right? And the answer is yes, you do. Jesus, but the way Jesus teaches them is he says, bring me a denarius, the form of their money, and he asked them to show, them, to show him the denarius, and he, he told them, uh, whose inscription is that? And they said, that's Caesar's. And what does Jesus say after that? He says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. What is Jesus saying in that quick little teaching there in Mark chapter 12? He's saying, pay your taxes, your taxes. This this coin has the imprint of Caesar on it, so give it to him. It belongs to him. But in a Jewish mindset, what they what they would also hear in that statement is that you also, Pharisees, you also, centennialites, you also, Americans, you humans, you have an imprint on you. And what is that imprint? It's not Caesar, but as Genesis would say, it's the image of God. You've been stamped with the image of God. No animal has the image of God, but humans have the image of God, and therefore render to Caesar what Caesar, what has his imprint, but don't give Caesar your life. Don't give Caesar your ultimate allegiance. You belong to God. Because you are an image bearer of God. So already off the bat, to say Jesus is Lord is both a theological as well as a political statement because it is saying the Lordship of Jesus extends to all life, even politics and even government. Because you are created in the image of God and Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, therefore, over all things. He's master over all things. So if you are a believer this morning, if you are trying to follow Christ and Jesus is Lord, what that means is that Jesus is Lord of all. Of all. Even your politics. He is Lord over all. So when you go in the voting booth, or many of you have already voted because of early voting now, but when you go in the voting booth, you do not suspend your faith in Jesus. You do not suspend the fact that Jesus is Lord. You take your politics into the voting booth, but you also take your faith and the lordship of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is Lord of all, then he's Lord of you when you go in that voting booth, when you think about your political convictions. He's also with you as you think about your checkbook and your wallet, as you think about your vocation, as you think about your sexuality and your identity. He is Lord over all those things. So one of the things that the doctrine of Christ as Jesus being Lord shows us is that we cannot segregate our political views from our spiritual life. If Jesus is Lord, He is Lord over all, and what He says has to make a difference in what you think politically. <clears throat> no other thing can be Lord of your life is Jesus is Lord of your life. Implication: Your politics can't be your ultimate authority. A political party cannot be your, your, your ultimate authority or allegiance. If Jesus is Lord, he's Lord over all, even over your politics and your political affiliation. It must submit to Jesus. You can't have a personal life and then a political philosophy. Jesus is Lord over all. Mark chapter 3, again, you can just uh, flip there. Uh, if you'd like to, or you can just take my word for it. Um, but in Mark chapter 3, I love this passage, and we've looked at it several times uh, recently as a church, but in Mark chapter 3, uh, as well as Luke chapter 6, a parallel passage, Jesus calls his disciples, and I'm just going to uh, kind of give you the overview of the passage again, but Mark chapter 3, verses three through 13 through 21, excuse me, Mark 3, 13 through 21, Jesus calls his disciples together. And in, in verse 13, it says he calls, he's up on a mountainside, and he, it says he calls those whom he wanted, and he, they came to him that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. What does that tell us about Jesus? That tells us that he's called these disciples, these followers together to be with him and also to be his ambassadors, to send them out to preach. And I left off the other phrase of it, um, Unfortunately, it says he he calls them to send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons, okay? They're doing a spiritual work as they gather with him and as they go out for him, they are his representatives. What does this mean? This means that Jesus' mission is not primarily political. He didn't instruct those first disciples to, to go and protest in Rome, he said, I want, I'm bringing about a kingdom that he elsewhere says is like an invisible kingdom. It's, it's, like a, it's like a mustard seed. It's like yeast that slowly grows. But it wasn't primarily a political message as he brought them together and then sent them out. And the, the other point that I want to make from this passage is it names in Mark chapter 3 who his first disciples were. And if you look at that list, okay, and I'm not going to go through it all this morning, but if you look at that list, there's two political opposites In this list of Jesus' original followers. And you have to know a little bit of background to know this, but if you look earlier in Mark chapter three, there's a guy named Levi that's converted, that Jesus says, Come follow me. Well, that Levi gets renamed Matthew. So the disciple Matthew is one of Jesus' first followers. He's a convert uh, who was formerly called Levi. And what do we know about Levi from the earlier part of Mark chapter three? He was a tax collector. What does that mean? He worked for Rome, and he was probably overtaxing people. So to a a Jewish person, Levi, Matthew, is like this traitor collecting taxes. He's the IRS dude that you don't want to see. And so this traitor to Rome now begins to follow Jesus. And guess who one of his close friends is? If you look toward the end, I believe it's in uh, verse 18, it talks about this guy named Simon the Zealot. What do you know about Simon the Zealot or Zealots in Jesus' day? They opposed the government, right? They opposed this Roman occupation. So here you have sell out Matthew who's now following Jesus, who used to be loyal to Rome. And then you have Simon Zealot, on the other hand, this guy that's been trying to over, would like to overthrow the Roman occupation. Now, what do you think the political dialogue among those two in the 12 was like? That's exciting. I mean, this is like total right-winger versus total left-winger. And here they are now following Jesus, transformed in their politics with their loyalty, their ultimate Loyalty, not to their politics, but to their Savior, Jesus. And here's what I would contend to you this morning. When you come to follow Jesus, whether you're on the right or on the left, your politics are transformed somehow, in some way. You can't follow Jesus and remain the same, even in your politics. So Matthew realized, I can't gouge people, right? I can't do this. I can't cheat people. And Simon, for instance, he's like, Jesus has not told me to overthrow the government. In fact, Jesus will say later in John chapter 18, he'll say, my kingdom is not of this world. So Matthew had to come a little bit this way. Simon had to come a little bit this way and both be corrected in their politics as they followed their ultimate Lord Jesus. Got it? Jesus is Lord and therefore Jesus is Lord even in this area of our life. We cannot separate it. And that brings me to point number two, the other part of the frame, which is Scripture, the doctrine of Scripture. What does Scripture tell us about how to think about this or how does Scripture guide us as we think politically? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, a verse we hear a lot around here. All Scripture is breathed out by God, right? Right? All scripture is God breathed. It's inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, or maybe complete in this translation. Equipped for every good work. The Bible, for Christians, for followers of Jesus, is our ultimate authority. It's where we get our teaching, it's where we get rebuked, it's where we're shown correction, right? The scripture is our ultimate authority. So here's the point one of the points. If you have a political position, if you hold to a political position, it should square with what the Bible teaches. It should not be in disharmony with what you believe in the Scriptures. And to the degree that it is out of harmony is the degree to which you need to change your politics. Because as the Bible is the authority then your politics have to be filtered through that authority. Are you following me? Because Scripture is the ultimate authority, not a political platform, but the Scriptures, right? Now, here's the rub. The rub is that Scripture doesn't talk about every political issue. So the other thing that the doctrine of Scripture has to tell us is that, that that the scriptures don't address every modern issue that we face in 2018 does it the point of the scriptures was not to lead people into a political platform or ideology the point of the scriptures was to reveal who Jesus is so there's a lot of things that we talk about politically that quite frankly the bible doesn't inform us that much about so here's where I want to uh, offer a little bit of humility as we, become, as we come to our convictions politically. If the Bible doesn't talk about every issue clearly or explicitly, what we need to say then is that there's some issues we cannot say, and this is what the Christian position is, Right? because the Bible doesn't clearly talk about it. So we're left to our wisdom and common sense and information gathering and tradition and and sociology and things like this to come up with the best practice because the scripture doesn't clearly talk about that issue. Now, let me be clear here. Some issues the Bible does clearly talk about and it's easily ascertained what the Scriptures and what the Lord Jesus Christ would say about those political issues. But some issues, it does not. And so I would caution us this. Where Scripture speaks clearly, be clear. But where Scripture doesn't speak at all or doesn't speak with clarity, hold your position with humility and perhaps with tentativeness. Tentatively. So let me put this out here. I don't think that you can look to the Bible and say that there is a Christian position on gun control. <gasps> I said that in Texas. I don't think you can say this is what you should think about gun control because the Bible says X. X. Now, you might be able to make some implications based upon human freedom or about protecting society or whatever, but they are not directly, explicitly from Scripture, right? I don't think the Bible teaches us what would be the best tax plan for our country or how to think about free trade or NAFTA or things like that because the Bible is not aiming to answer those questions. So where the Scripture speaks clearly, hold your position tightly. But where the Scripture doesn't speak or where the Scripture doesn't speak with clarity, hold your position tentatively or with humility. Okay? Doctrine of Christ, doctrine of Scripture. Thirdly, doctrine of humanity and sin. We're humans, we're humans. And what does the Bible teach about humanity? It teaches that we are the most dignified creation that God created. He created all these wonderfully diverse animals, and then he creates man, and he says it's good. It's good. It's all been good, but he says it's, it's very good, and he says that we are imprinted, as I said earlier, with the image of God. No other part of creation has that image of God. No one's an image bearer other than humans. So Scripture teaches the goodness of humanity, the dignity of humanity, but it also teaches, get this, the depravity of humanity, Right? That humans are the most valuable thing there is in all of creation. And at the same time, every single one of us is a sinner bent towards folly, bent towards ignorance, bent towards prejudice, bent against God and His will, right? Right? So how could this possibly help us as we think about politics, this doctrine of humanity? And I'm pouring a bunch of things in here, okay? So this, this, each one of these could use an entire sermon, okay? Aren't you glad we're not doing an entire sermon series on this? I am. Um, so what possibly could the doctrine of humanity uh, lend to this idea of politics? Well, there's this verse that we quote often as we share the gospel with people, and it's Romans 3.23, and it says what? don't cheat. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. That's the teaching of the scriptures, that we're humans and that we're sinners. So if we're sinners, what does that mean? It means we're going to get it wrong. It means occasionally we're going to miss the mark, whether it's ethically, morally, relationally, or politically. The fact that we're humans, I should have started here, the fact that we're humans means that we're not God, right? Which means that we don't have the omni-attributes that God has. What are the omni-attributes, right? Omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful. God is omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing. Humans are not. We are limited. We are finite. So that means we are not omni-anything except omni-needy. Right? And so, if that's true, if we're all humans, limited, finite, created in the image of God, and and limited and therefore blind, we're going to make mistakes politically. And we don't have all the knowledge that God has. And lest we think we can go online and do a web search and spend 30 minutes reading online or reading a, a, a few blogs and know that we, in our finite, limited uh, knowledge, therefore now have the answer for all the things pertaining to health care or all the things pertaining to welfare, is, is a bit presumptuous, isn't it? we probably don't have all the facts. Now, does that mean we shouldn't try? No, but in, in, in a day where we have all the information at our fingertips, we're sometimes uh, fooled into thinking, well, if people would just listen to me, they could figure this out. But, but the fact is that because we're limited and finite, we never have all the facts, and sometimes some of these things are such webs of uh, issues and difficulty that they're hard to sort through. And so as a human created in an image of God, we have to acknowledge that sometimes we will be blind, we will be mistaken, we will be without all the information, and things are more complex than we might want to admit. Here's the other thing that I think we can say as Human sinners. Christians are really good at saying that you know everyone's a sinner. We're known for that. Here's one thing we're less, uh, we've been less um, bold about. Not only are all human sinners, but all systems that make up humans are therefore full of sin and inadequate and broken. So where am I going with this? Where I'm going with this is that there is no political party or system made up of flawed, sinful people that will ever be perfect. And so, as a caution, if you think your party has no error in it, that its political platform is just sealed tight with no possible holes, then I would say you need to think again about the doctrine of sin and depravity. Because anytime humans get together and put together a document, it's going to be tainted by blindness, by limited thinking, by people that are bent to their own prejudice. So guess what? The right has a political platform that often errs. And the left has a political platform that often errs. And you know, Jesus, He came into a world that had right and left also. Do you know that? And Jesus often found Himself in the middle of very conservative Pharisees who wanted Him to be stronger and more conservative, right? And He also walked around with people of, of a more liberal persuasion. They were called Herodians or Sadducees. There was also a group of people in Jesus' day called the Essenes who said, You know what? This occupation deal and that, we're out of here. And they went and hid and made these, these little uh, sects of society off in the caves where they didn't have to be contaminated by everything that was happening in Jerusalem. Sound familiar? And here Jesus is walking in between the right and the left, offending the right and offending the left, and saying, I am Lord, follow me. Amen. Here's the other thing that we can say, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to wrap this up quickly here. Here's the other thing that we can say about the doctrine of humanity. The doctrine of humanity, meaning that we're all image bearers of Christ, means that every person on this globe is an image bearer of Christ, whether a Christ follower of not or not. Do you catch that? Every person, the 7 billion people on this globe, whether they follow Jesus or not, are image bearers of God, uniquely created and therefore deserving of respect and justice and kindness. That's what we believe as Christians, that every human has that imprint of God and therefore are worthy of dignity and respect. So let me say this, in all the noise that's out there, the people that ought to be modeling civility and kindness and love for enemies of all people, it ought to be us. It ought to be you and me that can sit across the table from someone and vehemently disagree and be kind because i'm not sitting across from an enemy i'm sitting across from a human being who is made in the image of god and they may be blinded they may be ignorant they may be prejudiced but they are still worthy of dignity and respect as a human being amen, amen. christianity wherever it has gone has elevated humanity has br- has brought dignity to the poor to the oppressed, to the hurting. I know there's exceptions. Don't, you know, don't email me about that. Okay, let's move on. Finally, the fourth part of our quadrilateral here, the fourth piece of the framework is the church, the church. And listen to these words of Jesus, Matthew 16, 18. He says, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus came not to build a new government, but to build the church and to bring his kingdom. So his hope, Jesus' hope for the world, was not Rome, was not America. His hope for the world was his church. And there's no promise like this promise for the church, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's no promise like this for any human government. Rome, 400 years, whatever. America, 200 years so far, God has not promised any nation to exist forever, but He's promised that the church will exist and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So let me say this the most important institution, the most important organization in the mind of God, in the mind and heart of God, is His people, the church. And he's looking for transformation to come, not through the White House, but through his people, the church. And the church did not grow in those early years. The the church and Christianity did not spread in those first years through a moral majority, but rather through a persecuted minority. So take heart. Be of good cheer. Even if our government goes down the tubes, there's still hope because God has put his hand on the church, not just Centennial Church, but on the church global to be his instrument in this world. Amen? Is that my phone going off? I think that means wrap it up. So what do we do with this? If, if the church is the institution that God died for, is the ch- if the church is the hope of the world, not any one government, then here's application point number one, okay? Application point number one, give more time, money, and energy to God's kingdom than a party or a pack. Amen? Amen. I'm not saying don't give money to a party or to a pack or or to an effort. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God's priority seems to be the church. And we ought to be giving our lives, giving our energy, giving our time, and giving our dollars to the hope of the world, which is God's church. Second application be a great citizen, be a great neighbor. I mean, if you could summarize Christianity, if you could summarize the teaching, summarize it like Jesus did. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what? And love your neighbor as yourself. Transformation begins local. For us to know and love and serve and care for our neighbors, for the hungry, for the hurting around us, for the lonely, for the hopeless, be a great citizen. Be a great neighbor. I can't believe in this context, in 2018, how radical it's going to be to just be kind people. The world is going to be like, wow, they're kind. They invite me over to their house. They love me even though I disagree. What an awesome opportunity we have to model Jesus By being good neighbors, just being good citizens. And thirdly, and probably most importantly, definitely most importantly, give your heart and put your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings. Not in any other king, not in any other candidate, not in any other party, not in any other president. But put your hope and put your confidence, no matter what's happening, In the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And here's his promise. Philippians 3.20. Paul writes this. Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a dual citizenship. We have a citizenship here, but our real citizenship is in heaven. And from there we await a Savior. Where's the Savior going to come from? From Washington, D.C., from the Supreme Court, from a new senator? No. The hope comes from Christ, who will come and bring this perfect kingdom of peace and justice that we all desperately long for. So, in a time that worries us, and I'm worried, take heart, have hope. Jesus still reigns as King of kings. The church has the Lord's promise, and we can make a difference in the dark, sometimes greater than we can when it's seemingly light. So here's what I want to ask you to do in closing. I want to ask you, I'm going to invite you to stand, those that are able to stand with me, and I want you to repeat with me a little creed. Go ahead and stand. And I want us to just be reminded this morning of what we believe, the implications of our theology. So I'm going to say one line, and I'm going to have you say the next line, and then I've asked Stuart and Kim to pray for us, to close us in prayer, and then we will sing. We will praise the King of kings and Lord of lords through song, okay? So would you repeat after me? Jesus is Lord, the Bible, the Bible is my platform. My allegiance is to Christ and his church. My and his church. and my, king my King is coming. Amen. Stuart, Kim, would you guys pray for us?
1: Father, Lord Jesus, you are King. And yet I get so confused. I think we get confused. in this time that we're in and all the voices out there. And I just I pray Psalm 29 for us for in there. It says that the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And Siron like a young wild ox. I just pray. I pray for the leaders of our country. Our president. Congress. The courts. The state its leadership, this city, city of Frisco and its leaders. And I just pray, Father, that you would break their hearts, that they would open their hearts up to hear your voice, that light would shine in. I pray that you would just lead them and your commands for us that we would love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray that they would listen. And then I pray that that they would hear your truth and speak your truth in love. We love you, Father. And we thank you that you're our leader and that Jesus would come. pray that he would come and lead us.
2: Oh, we thank you, Lord. We call you Lord this morning. Thank you, Father, for the word that you've given us today. God, I pray that you would be Lord in this church. Father, it's such a blessing that you would bless this place, that you would bless Centennial Church. God, you have called each and every one of us to this place today to hear your word, to open your word. God, I pray that you would just impress in our hearts that we would be the light that you have called us to be in this community, in our neighborhoods, in our homes. Lord, you said the gates of hell would not prevail against your church, your church. You called us yours, Father, this institution that you ordained. This wasn't our idea, God, and thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would just bless this body, and not just this body, not just this house, this house that we've come to worship you and glorify you and learn about everything that you would have for us in our lives, and our future, and those plans, God, that are so much bigger, so much greater than anything we could ever plan. Thank you, God, that you are in control, and not just here in this body, but all of our brothers and sisters across this great blessed nation. That they would hear your word, that your word would be opened and taught in this country. That lights all over this country in this time and this and this stressful time. Not just today, but in all the years to come. And Lord, you have called us to go into every area of this world, Lord, your world. And thank you, God, that we are in your image. You made us in your image. And that we would would be your image to those who don't know you yet. God bless your church here in this place, all over this country, the United States, Lord, and all over the world. That you would open our hearts to see those who need to know that you're Lord. Who need to have you in control of their lives and their decisions. God, in this moment we say in your name, as your word tells us, you will be Lord on this earth and I thank you God that nothing will prevail your church will last forever let us take that to heart God let us carry that with us into all of those who need to hear us thank you Lord in your precious name
3: we praise you God to give life to all things every race Nation, and that you remained with us when we fell into temptation, when we fell into ruin, when we fell into destruction. God, you called us out of death, and now you call us to take hold of eternal life and to live our whole lives there. Father, would you help us pursue? righteousness, godliness. Would you help us pursue faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Father, would you help us fight the good fight of the faith, not faith in man-made institutions or factions, but faith in your sovereignty, faith in your riches, faith in the riches of the gospel of your Son and faith that you are coming soon. You are the blessed, the sovereign, the King of kings, Lord of lords. You alone have immortality. You alone dwell in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can. So to you, God, be honor and eternal dominion forever.